And we're back. This is Doug Bob the Young, ostensibly a baseball podcast. Lately, it's been a ostensibly a coronavirus podcast since there's no yeah. baseball going on. But ladies and gentlemen, today is Thursday afternoon, Thursday, April the 9th, coming at you live from Champaign, Illinois. My name is Joel. With me today, as per usual, is Sam. Sam, how's it going? Hey, Joel. I'm doing good. I'm coming at you, as usual, from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, we're doing a little kind of hybrid A-B block today. Yeah. Uh, so instead of hot takes, we're going to jump right into the headlines as hot takes. My headline, the big headline for baseball, is that baseball could be back as soon as May. Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association announced Monday that they have a plan in place that has been agreed on by both sides and approved by public health officials that baseball could begin in May, with all games being played in the Cactus League spring training facilities in the greater Phoenix area. Right. Players and staff would be quarantined in hotels, and the games would, of course, be played in front of empty stands. Um, Joel, this, to me, feels like we're getting back to the days of slave soldiers battling to the death in the Coliseum. Right? <laughs> these guys are like going to a place where they will be allowed to do nothing but dance for our entertainment. Right. Um, like we're just throwing Christians to the lions. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> Except uh, let me let me uh Counter your headline with a headline I just thought of. Dana White, the head of UFC Ultimate Fighting Championship, has secured a private island for UFC fights. So what you're saying is literally fucking true because that's what UFC is about to start doing. Right. That's more like blood sport, though. Right. Isn't that what you meant? No, I'm talking about like the Roman games. Where it's like, no one's allowed to leave, and you can only fight to the death. You know what I mean? The only way to get out is to win, you know? Like yeah, anyone who doesn't like... win the World Series <laughs> is going to be, like, thrown into the spear pit or something, you know? Yeah, but my point is, yours is a metaphor, but what Dana White is doing is actually, literally, what you're describing. Right. Somebody's going to die. Right. Right. Probably a prostitute. Yeah. Um, what is your opinion on, on this plan for Major League Baseball, though? Uh, I think it's, I mean, I hope it happens. We were talking about this uh, last episode with Thomas. Shout out yep. to Thomas in the last episode. Um, and we were talking about how baseball could really stands to benefit if they could become part of the healing narrative of this coronavirus like yeah. horror story that is modern society. So I think that they're like very much aware of that and are trying to get on the track with that. It seems like a tall order to like ask players to leave their families for an indefinite amount of time, you know? Um, but yeah. also it's yeah. like there are, you know, millions of dollars stood to be won, like made or lost here. So that's a pretty good incentive. Yeah, I had read that there were some plans that they would actually have the players' families come to Arizona with them and actually quarantine with them in hotels. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, some of those players are like, fuck. <laughs> you got your wife and your three kids with you in Tucson, yeah. Arizona, or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> So question, and we talked about this a little bit last week when I was talking about WWE. How would you feel about watching baseball on TV in front of empty stadiums? I I actually think it would be really interesting. And I think it would be like how, because, you know, there's a certain, like, there's not a lot of variation to major league baseball broadcast right it's like the personalities in the booth are kind of the same but basically all the camera angles are the same 
um, the kind of sequence of like this play happens and then we play the replay or if it's the end of the inning, we're going to play that replay at the beginning of the next inning or like, you know, this guy's got a crazy like sign in the stands or it's like the 16th inning and we're just going to show people in the stands sleeping or it's like <laughs> right. it's a crazy dance competition. You know what I mean? Like all right. of that's out the window and like these whatever the like broadcast sports video editors are going to have to figure out a different way to piece the game together. And I yeah, think that's, that's going to be really interesting. Would they bring down all the announcers? Like, would uh, Chicago White Sox get their uh, Steve socialized at the games just with nobody else there? Uh, I think so, or maybe they'd do it remotely. Oh, yeah, that's a possibility. Because I'm thinking that might be... But they're all just, like, looking at monitors anyway, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, I think the guys who do Monday Night Football don't even go to the games anymore. They're just at ESPN headquarters in Connecticut. Right. I don't know. That's my conspiracy theory. So that they can, like, then go hang at WWE headquarters. Which is also <laughs> right. Right, exactly. <laughs> but this would be an extra challenge to your play-by-play guys. They'd have to try to keep people's attention even harder, right? Yeah. You'd actually have to talk about something interesting for three hours, three and a half yeah. hours. I know. I know. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. In those really long games where they're, like, tired and they've run out of shit to say and they're just like, look at this fucking asshole who's falling asleep in right field. You know what I mean? Like, Right. <laughs> Although, can you imagine broadcasting, like, a 15-inning game without any fans? I know. It'd be tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're back for hour five with literally nobody here. <laughs> yeah. And also, it's like all of the things that, you know, like the, the like, 30-second heroes who, like, make an amazing catch on a foul ball, you know, and, like, all those people are going to be gone. Right. Yeah. Huh. Well, that would be very weird and existential, I feel like. Like, yeah. it, would, it, it might, you know, throw into relief the kind of post-apocalyptic world that we're living in. When, you know, your right fielder goes slamming into the stands to catch a foul ball, but there are no fans there. Right. No one pours beer on his head. Exactly. And, like, what's, you know, what's a Mets game going to be at, like, without, like, a thousand, like, 50,000 Shake Shack rappers blowing around the outfield, you know? Right. Right. On the plus side, Miami Marlins fans won't know the difference. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <clears throat> yeah. They're going to they're gonna have record attendance, actually. <laughs> Just because there's going to be a couple extra doctors there. Uh, and Marlins man that guy somehow (laughs) that game right they're like god dude you gotta go like I can't tell you this anymore this is literally a health hazard dude you have to leave (laughs) we'll be taken down by our like doctor commandos (laughs) doctor commandos that'd be cool uh, yeah. All right. So hopefully by May. I mean, why base, some baseball would be better than no baseball at all, right? Yes. Right. I think it would be great. I think it'd mm. be great to have meaningful baseball being played. Like, I think that would be like a, a boon for America, you know? Right. And the world, you know? Yeah. I mean, if we're all stuck in our houses regardless... You're just watching David Tennant shows on TV, apparently. <laughs> no, not for a while. That was pre-quarantine. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, one headline I wanted to mention real quick before we move on to the book club. Uh, people are losing their goddamn minds. In San Pedro, California, a train engineer... Uh, 
purposefully a train engineer slash L.A. Dodgers fan purposefully drove his train off the rails trying to run it into the USS Mercy, the hospital ship that's at dock in L.A. Port. What? Uh, yeah, this dude lost his goddamn mind and tried to drive his train into a boat. Doesn't he know that trains go on tracks? Federal prosecutors, this is from the LA Times, federal prosecutors charged a locomotive driver at the point of Los Angeles with intentionally derailing a train near the U.S. Navy's hospital ship Mosi because he suspected it was not there to help with the coronavirus crisis. Eduardo Moreno, 44, of San Pedro, was charged with deliberately wrecking a train during the incident on Tuesday, which led to a derailment and fuel leak. Moreno reportedly said, you only get this chance once. The whole world is watching. I had to. People don't know what's going on here. Now they will. What What don't we know? Because <laughs> I don't know. I don't think his message is as clear as he thinks it is. (laughs) We don't know the truth, Sam. We don't know the truth. He's like, there's crazy people in L.A. Everyone has to know. (laughs) So I'm going to drive my train into a boat. The mental health background checks on train operators are very lax. Everyone (laughs) will know. Yeah, that's a good point. They need to do something about that. Yeah. But that guy probably, like, was next in line for the pilot of the Staten Island Ferry. That would be my guess. Like, that that will be his next job. Like, he's still not disqualified from having that job. Next, the Staten Island Ferry guy just drives it into lower Manhattan. It happens, like, twice a year. <laughs> do they just do they just snap? It, it happens all the time. No, I think that like everything, like it's just a crumbling infrastructure thing, honestly. But it's like okay. it happens so often. I <laughs> know. Uh, I mean, I think maybe we'll be seeing more of this as the uh, coronavirus quarantine continues. People are losing their minds, man. That's why we need baseball back. Yeah, that's why we need baseball back. Right. All right. Um, Before we move on, I wanted to give a shout out. Uh, Sam mentioned this already. Thanks to Thomas for being on our episode last week. I posted that earlier. Check it out on SoundCloud.com. Also, if you're listening to us on Apple iTunes, please give us a rating, a review, and a subscription. Uh... Hey, our numbers are up because, you know, y'all are just hanging out at home listening to our podcast. Uh, Shout out to everybody who listened last week. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Dallas, Texas, Norfolk, Virginia, Washington, Illinois, Philadelphia, Charlotte, and Reading, Pennsylvania. Thanks very much. Please keep it up. Also, uh, check it out on Twitter at Dump on the Ump and our Facebook page. So, Having said that, we're going to move on. We have about 15 minutes at least to talk about the B Block Book Club. Sam, what book have you been reading? Okay, I just finished this book called It's What You Learn After You Know It All That Counts, which is the autobiography of Earl Weaver. Um, and for those of you who don't know who Earl Weaver was, he's, uh, or yeah, was, he's a Hall of Fame manager who managed the Orioles for like 15 seasons uh one of the most winningest managers of all time um and let's see uh 1200 major league wins uh 851 losses for uh that's a 597 winning percentage which is pretty great that's pretty Um, good 2000 games yeah he had 500 game winners, um, and and this book is pretty interesting because it was written in 1981, um, which was the last 
I guess it was like right after he retired. Um, and it was a strike shortened season. Uh, and he retired, he, but then he came World back. Series? Okay. He Did won he one win World a World Series? series? Yeah, he oh, won okay. one World okay. Series. Um, and there's like so many interesting things in this book. But I, I just want to like read a passage because I actually feel like Earl Weaver may, might be the patron saint of Dump on the Ump, the podcast. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so I'm just going to read a, a, this is a, the kind of intro to chapter one, chapter one, Joel. I'm listening. <clears throat> According to the media, I am famous for three things, arguing with umpires, battling with players and winning ball games. Well, you can't have the latter without the first two. I'm sorry to say. So the opening chapters of, in this book will deal with confrontations beginning with those involving umpires. <clears throat> I feel obligated to point out that an umpiring crew makes approximately 300 calls per nine inning game. As I've managed over 2,000 major league games, I have witnessed more than 600,000 calls. The fact that in this section I find fault with only a minuscule percentage of these calls testifies the splendid job that umpires do overall. It is amazing. Nevertheless, the names of some of the umpires have been changed or withheld to protect the guilty. <laughs> <laughs> and so the whole first chapter is just like, this guy, you may, like, you should just Google him, like Google Earl Weaver umpire fights. Um, the guy's about five, six, uh, and he kind of like, explodes out of the out of the dugout and just like attacks umpires like a crazy <laughs> chicken, like a chicken attacking like you know a pig or something okay so um, you would tell me off off camera he says that umpires get 98 percent of their calls right 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 but it's that 2% or that 1%, I don't know what the quote is, that's where the fight is. Right. He says that it's his job to let them know those 2% of the time. Uh-huh. And that's how baseball games are won or lost. I mean, you know, connect this with um, kind of our ongoing conversation about the implementation of robo-umps at the major league level. It's part of being a manager is knowing when to argue balls and strikes. Right. And when to get kicked out of a baseball game. Right. Well, he was saying that a lot of the times that you get kicked out of a baseball game as a manager is to keep your players from getting kicked out of a game. Right. So he's saying that, like, uh, players usually will begin, like, he was, you know, talking about umpires. He says umpires, most umpires will allow a player to argue balls and strikes, which is an immediate ejection. Right. If the manager comes out immediately to get in the middle, he'll like give them some leeway, but it's the manager's job to get kicked out instead of the player. Right. So give <laughs> the player play baseball. Right. So this guy, and he coached like so many hall of fame baseball players. It's kind of ridiculous. Okay. Um, but one guy he talks a lot about is Frank Robinson, who's uh -huh. probably like, I don't know, top 10 baseball player ever or some shit like this. This guy is incredible. And also went on to be a player, a player manager too, didn't he? He had a long coaching career. He's actually at the point of the time of the writing of this book. He's a, he's the bench coach. Okay. For the Orioles. Um, but he's like, he, yeah. Really incredible baseball player. But he's always talking about how he gets kicked out to keep, because he's like, you know, if I get sent back to the, you know, he's talking about basically about how, you know, he's not supposed to continue managing a game, um, but there's nothing that will ever stop him from managing a game. Hypothetically, I'm doing air quotes now, from the right. clubhouse, because he can watch the game from there and like make all these calls. But, like, if Frank Robinson gets sent into the clubhouse, then, like, that's a huge loss for the, for the Orioles. Right. So, but anyway, he, uh, he just, like, he just so famously 
is insane. And he held for <laughs> he held for a long time the record for most ejections from every any single game. Um, okay. So a couple of his most he had there was one umpiring crew which he felt um like he said that <clears throat> you know normally like a manager and a player a manager's players and umpires it's very important that like you go game by game so anything that happens in a game you can like put it behind you right <clears throat> and he always felt like there was just one crew that had it out for him especially this one guy who went on tv and publicly said that he hated earl weaver and hoped that he would lose. Um, and so there's this one famous tirade where this umpire, unbeknownst to either of the teams, um, wore a recording device for a different TV outlet um, and then goaded Earl Weaver into coming out to, like, scream at him. And and this so this is the ah. famous one, which you can find on YouTube, and it's like, he's just like, the umpire's like, you're out of here, Earl. And Earl Weaver just is screaming to him. He's like, you came down here just to fuck us. You came here just to fuck us. <laughs> and just like <clears throat> over and over, he's like, one of us is going to the Hall of Fame, asshole. And it's not you. And just like <laughs> screaming at this guy. <laughs> anyway, it's worth a watch. <clears throat> uh, he tells the story about this one time where I can't remember the call. I was trying to look for um, the the passage, but he basically this guy made an incorrect call that was against the rules of the game. And Earl Weaver came out onto the field with the rule book and was like, "Look, there's nowhere in the book that says that that's against the rules." And they're like, "You can't bring the rule book out onto the field, Earl." And he's like, "It doesn't say anywhere in this rule book that I can't bring this rule book out onto the field." And they're like, "Refuse to look at the rule book." So he tore it into little pieces and threw it all around the infield like confetti. He was like running around throwing <laughs> of the torn up baseball rule book. Um, anyway, it's interesting also because it's a uh, he was a big players advocate. He was a big advocate for free agency when it came along. And then um, this is right before the strike in 81. Um which was about, uh, which was kind of like free agency take two, part two. Right. Um, he's, he's in favor of the players' rights. And he re and the reason, I think, is because the league runs the umpires. And the commissioner What's of the baseball at the time. <coughs> How big was this game? What's that? How did the book get its name? That was like an inspirational quote that he had um, up in his locker rooms. Huh. He also... What did it... He's also an accomplished hypnotist. He talks about huh. how he always was like hypnotizing people and like he wouldn't hypnotize his players, but he would recommend hypnotism as like a... For like people who are dealing with slumps or whatever. Right. Um, but he talked about how he would always like hypnotize people at parties, which is crazy. <laughs> I never do that. Would you ever go to like a cocktail party and be like, hey, this friend of mine wants to hypnotize you? Yeah. No, I would never get hypnotized. Right. That sounds messed up. Yeah. So anyway, but he's he does it. He's a, he was a hypnotist. Um but it, it, some interesting things, just kind of like a snapshot into like, because this guy's like way ahead of his time, right? Because he was like, he was kind of Moneyball before Moneyball was a thing. He like, oh. didn't, he like refused to bunt. And like, he, his whole thing was like, you only get 27 outs in a ball game. Why would you give a single one away? Right. Um, and then like, he also used to, um, like if somebody was like on the other team was trying to bunt and his pitcher threw a ball. He would like scream at the pitcher and be like, yeah, they're trying to give us an out. Like, why the fuck wouldn't you give an out? Right. Um, but yeah, bunting is almost always a dumb idea. Yeah. 
But so he also like unless you're going to do it for a base hit, unless yeah. you're trying for a base hit. But he also well, was you like can't score a run, right? Like if there's a way to score a run on a bunt, but that's really hard to do. Right, but it wouldn't be worth it, like unless it was a game-winning run, like yeah. a sure thing. Uh-huh. But anyway, that was his his theory. He also, um, what was his other thing? Oh, but it, the weird thing. So this is like the seventies, right? Because he started in sixty-eight and went to eighty-one or whatever. Fourteen uh-huh. years, I think. And um, and he, I think he went to the World Series three times and won once. Um, but what's really interesting is that some of the things that he like really like puts a lot of emphasis on are things that don't really like he talks about how many 20 game winners he had as a pit like on his pitching staffs over the years because um, that used to be like the kind of the thing and he's had like more 20 game winners than any other manager ever I think and you know he puts a huge amount of emphasis on that and that's not something that people really care about anymore uh-huh. uh, and also you know people are pitching fewer and fewer innings so it's like it's harder to get to 20 wins anyway but like he puts a huge emphasis on that he puts a huge like a bigger emphasis on winning the pennant than like even making it to the world series like winning the pennant is the goal yeah that's the goal yeah that's really interesting so in the 70s what was there alcs and nlcs there was because the Red Sox won a couple of ALCS and then went on to lose to the Big Red Machine. But that was it, right? Only four teams in the playoffs. There was an ALCS and an NL. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, but during his time, they added the extra, the division series. Okay. Because, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is his argument that once you get to the playoffs, it's pretty much a crapshoot? Maybe, yeah. I mean, that's always been my critique of the playoffs. They make for good and dramatic television, but you play a 162-game season, and then you got to, you know, win a best of five. <laughs> right. I don't even want to know what he would say about the one-game wild. Oh, right. Player. That would like, make him fucking furious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he would probably blow a gasket. Right. So, uh, I don't know if you can look this up. What year did the Orioles actually win the World Series? I can look it up. I think it was 69. I'll Google No, 69, they lost to the Amazing Mets. Oh, right. Um, They won in 83, and it looked like 1970. Yeah, 70. They went to the World Series in 69, and then again in 70. And they beat the Reds. They beat the big red machine in seventy, and then they lost to the they lost to the amazing Mets. That was the amazing Mets, right? Which we talked about earlier. I kind of want to go back to the, those amazing Mets sometime because that's a really interesting story. Yeah, that was uh, Nolan Ryan's rookie year, I think. Yeah, that guy was amazing. He talks about Nolan Ryan actually in this book, um, and then they went to the World Series again. I can't remember. So I'm looking at One the. I'm looking at the nineteen. So does he? T- I mean, I'm assuming he talks about the 1970 World Series in the book. Yeah. Uh huh. So 1970, the Baltimore Orioles went 108 and 54. Right. And they played the Cincinnati Reds, who went 102 and 60. So right. you had two really good teams that year. Yeah. Brooks Robinson was the MVP for Baltimore. Yeah, he's an interesting character too. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, what does uh, what does uh, Earl Weaver say about him? If, well, if Brooks any- Robinson is just like I mean, you know, like they talk about uh, what's that guy for the Rockies who plays third base? Arenado. Yeah, they like when they compare third baseman to anybody, it's always to Brooks Robinson. Brooks Robinson uh, is like. Huh. The, like gold stand he's probably considered the best third baseman ever to play the game okay uh, and just was like in a, a like insane fielder uh really crazy good fielder apparently anyway you can look up youtube clips of him too he's pretty good there aren't a ton of them but
um, you know, that, and then also he just played 22 seasons for Baltimore. So he's kind of like the hero mm -hmm. of Baltimore, him and Cal Ripken Jr. Sure, sure. So here's an interesting thing. I mean, I know this, you know, back in 1970. So the ALCS in 1970, I'm looking at this right now. The Orioles beat the Twins 3-0. So it was best of five, the CS. Right. And the Reds beat the Pirates 3-0. So your, your four final teams in 1970 were Baltimore, Minnesota, Cincinnati, and Pittsburgh. Right. And those are right. all the worst teams right now. And pretty much. I, yeah. yeah. Well, not Minnesota. Minnesota's yeah, good. Yeah, Minnesota's good. Yeah. They would have been good this year. Huh. Okay. Uh, do you have any? Uh, can you can you find any scenarios where he uh, he being a Weaver gets kicked out to protect a player? Are there any? Uh, yeah, I think that that happened a lot. I think it was you know it would be, would be mostly ball and strike calls. Uh huh. Um, but basically, anytime one of his players started screaming at an umpire, he would go out and get in between them and start screaming at the umpire. Yeah. And often would get kicked out. And he, but he also would like scream at his uh, uh, players a lot too. And he's like, I don't know. He like uh, Jim Palmer. Does that name sound familiar? Jim Palmer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's like a, also Hall of Fame pitcher. Um, and he, he and Earl Weaver famously had huge dust ups. Like, and, and Jim Palmer was like, a crazy person apparently just like really insane kind of egomaniac i think um and so and he always and he you know i think he's weaver's favorite player that's the way it seems in this book <laughs> he like speaks the most affectionately about jim palmer um but they would just like just scream at each other apparently like on the mound in the middle of a game you know what i mean yeah <laughs> I mean, that's so interesting. Like your favorite child is the one that you scream at the most. Yeah. And get into the like most heated arguments with. Yeah. And uh but uh what was I gonna say? Another thing that is crazy that he like kind of casually mentions is how many pitches people were throwing. So, oh like, yeah. Jim Palmer threw a hundred and seventy-five pitch thirteen inning complete game, like you know, like it's just makes your arm sore hearing about it. I wanted to ask about that because you, you, you mentioned earlier, you feel like Earl Weaver was kind of ahead of the curve in some money ball stat, like never yeah. bunt. How about like, don't steal bases possibly. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't, no. uh, he never players weren't allowed to steal on their own. Oh yeah. Players only yeah. were allowed to steal when they were told to steal. Right. So sense. he was he was kind of anti-stealing for the same like don't give away an out, <clears throat> um, and uh, but he also like um, a, a lot of things like uh, he standardized all of the training because he was a longtime minor league player and then minor league manager, uh -huh. and so he when he became the Orioles manager, standardized all of the drills and training for the entire minor league so that people who are coming up from the minor leagues were um, like ready to, just to fit in immediately. There was no like learning curve because they'd all been doing the same thing since like rookie ball. Interesting. That's really cool. And I but think everyone does that now, but like um, he was... He was the first person to do that. Um, okay, but my question, and maybe I don't know if you have an answer for this, why does he stress wins so often? Because, like, in today's game, the win is kind of an artificial stat for your pitcher because so right. much depends on, you know, what run support you get and things like that. Right, well, I think that back then, people scored a lot less runs, too. Uh-huh. So he talks about people having great home run se seasons and hitting 25 home runs, you know? Sure, yeah. Um, or hitting 32 home runs, you know? And it's like you're, you're, you know, 
kind of non all star second baseman will hit thirty two run home runs this these year, these days. He also is talking about his short stops and how like if you can get a short stop that hits over two twenty, then you got a good short stop. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Which is why you think we shouldn't have gotten rid of Yolmo Sanchez. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. He's second baseman, but yeah. Uh, right. Second baseman who wins the gold glove and then gets right. released by the team. Like, that's yeah. not something that Earl Weaver does. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, He'd be on to something then. Yeah. But he does talk about how, you know, he just seems like he's a very good manager of people, but also, of like, he spends a lot of time talking about, like, how difficult it is and yet how necessary it is as a manager to – when, you know, people like Brooks Robinson, he talks about when he had to sit down with Brooks Robinson and be like, hey, I'm platooning you against left-handed pitchers because you you don't have it anymore. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And how difficult it is to, like, say that to people who, you know, because no one ever thinks that they're done. Yeah. Except for apparently Jim Palmer, who thought he was done, like, every single game. He's just, like, a real diva. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's goddamn hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he talks about that and how, like, early in his career he had made a mistake with some people about letting them play a little bit too long and how it, right. you know. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now. Uh, the ninth, wait, wait, uh, blah, 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 blah. uh, the Orioles in 1970 led the American League, led the American League in most runs scored, fewest runs allowed, most complete games, lowest team ERA, and was second in the AL in fielding percentage. But that right. was a really good team. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of really good teams. And just some yeah. of the names that he throws around with the Rob Frank Robinson, Brooks Robinson, Jim Palmer. He had like a couple other Boog uh, Powell. Book Powell. Who yeah. I know him. He's not a Hall of Famer though. He was the nineteen seventy AL MVP. Yeah. He has a really good story about how much Boog Powell can drink. Oh yeah. Boog Boog and his wife both. <laughs> They, like, were flying to Japan after they lost the World Series. They were doing, like, a publicity tour or whatever in Japan. Uh-huh. And so he was just talking about how, like, <laughs> back then you'd, like, fly to California and have breakfast. And then you'd, like, fly to Hawaii and have dinner or whatever. And then you fly to Japan. And so he was just talking about how on that cross like around the world trip, how much Boog Powell drank. And it was like, uh, you know, it was like a Wade Boggs number of drinks, you know? Right, right. <coughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, tell me the name of the book again. It's called, It's What You Learn After You Know It All That Counts. What You Learn After You Know It All That Counts. And it's really yeah. like, you really should read it. It's, it's yeah. a... It's a fun read, and it's like he just—he seems like that guy who's like one your dad's friend who like maybe makes your mom feel a little uncomfortable because he <laughs> swears so much, you know. And he just, but he'll just like tell a dirty joke and then just laugh so loud at it himself right. after he tells it. You know what I mean? But right. just like that's every sentence he says something and then laughs so loud about it, you know? Awesome. Right. But he might also punch you in the face at any point. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll put it on my reading list. Right now, I am reading The Wrong Stuff by Bill Spaceman Lee. Uh, we'll do that next time for the B-Block Book Club. I'm really liking this book so far. I'm, I just started it. Uh, yeah. Does Earl Weaver talk about the Red Sox at all? Because he played against them in the 70s. <clears throat> yeah, Earl Weaver talks about um, Spaceman, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, about how good they hit Bill Lee. Um, <laughs> or like some of his players, like, because he also was like, he also was kind of ahead of his time as far as like, um, st- like statistics driven decision making. Uh-huh. So he was like the first 
person who was like, we need to have videotape of every single at bat, like right. categorized into videotapes of one player. You know what I mean? Right. And we need to have stat sheets. Like he made his lineups every day based on stat sheets. And he's like, we need to have a stat sheet for every player against every starting pitcher in the American League. Like all of our players against every starting pitcher in the American League going back into the minors. And he was the first person to do that. That's really interesting. You would have think that you would have thought that that would have been common sense in, you know, the 21st century. Right, but I also feel like, you know, yeah, I guess so. But it was just like, I feel like it was happening at a time like when videotape was becoming a thing. Uh-huh. And so also like probably it was easier to start compiling some of this information a little bit more with like the invention of like rudimentary computers and printing stuff and all of that. You know what I mean? Right. Your yeah. computers I could do like a hundred K of memory at a time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of baseball stats, you know what right. I mean? <laughs> um, but so anyway, he was, you know, and he, you know, he's talking about how, you know, he'd go and pinch hit for people and they'd be like, Why the fuck would you pinch hit for me? And he'd be able to be like, Look at this shit, like you're 0 for sixteen yeah. against this guy. You got nothing against this guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I really I'm thinking a lot about. I mean, this is the psychology of the job as baseball manager, which is something that you and I have talked about before. How much of it is through a long 162 game season, how much of the manager's job is uh, managing egos and psychology and behavior? Right. Yeah. How do you be honest with a guy when you're like, yo, you you got nothing left? Right. A guy who's 32 years old and his entire life has been the best physical athlete he's ever known. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I want to bring this up and then we should shut the fuck up. But um, was it Alex Cora? No, it was uh, Joe Madden. We talked about this, I think, a year ago, where Joe Madden was kind of talking to the media when he was the Cubs manager, and like, I don't really do any managing anymore, like, in game to game, like, his job is season-long managing egos and psychology. As opposed to, like... Decision-making is a lot based on front office stuff. Yes. Right. It's an information. It's like you're the portal for information as a baseball manager now. And that's about it. Yeah. That's kind um, of frustrating. But you, and that's why we got to keep the uh, human umpire so that the managers have someone to argue with. Right. Exactly. But anyway, we'll see. Anyway, yeah. to recommend. Um, yep. And. Uh, yeah, check it out. It's good. It's good. It's like a good. It's like a good section of baseball history, because it's like kind of after Mickey Mantle and Ted Williams and like all of these guys. Oh, he also. You asked about if he talked about the Red Sox. Uh, he talks more about the Yankees, but uh-huh. he uh, always holds up Ted Williams as like. You know, there, he he taught he'll like talk about a young person and be like, this guy could be the next Ted Williams. You know, it's uh, like, or he's like talking about uh, Reggie Jackson. Sure, Mr. Yeah. October. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna ask about that because you brought up free agency, and that's basically what Reggie Reggie Jackson started. Well, he was just kind of the first person who was like, I need to be paid a ridiculous amount of money. And, and he talks about that. He can pay him. Right. When, yeah. when he, he talked about that because when Reggie Jackson was the first person who's like, I need to make $100,000 a year. Uh-huh. And he was playing for the Orioles. And the Orioles were like, no way. And he was like talking about, he's like, this is, we're now six years later. And if you could get Reggie Jackson for $100,000 a year 
that would be the steal of the century. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, but anyway, he's talking about, I think it was Reggie Jackson. He was like, after he was like in in New York and he was talking about how much Reggie loved talking to the press. And so he was just like, was talking to Reggie who was talking to the reporters. And he's like, Reggie, you know, if you could focus all the time, the way you focus when it's crunch time, then you could be Ted Williams. Like that's the difference between you and Ted Williams is Ted Williams played like it's the ninth inning of the world series every single day, you know? Sure. Yeah, we do an entire uh, Ted Williams podcast because that guy's stats, you know, Mr. 400. Right. Uh, well, and also, like, Purple Heart fighter pilot in right. Korea. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, missed like the that best guy makes me not Korea. even feel like a man at all. You know what I mean? I thought it was World War II. Was it Korea? Korea, yeah. Okay, yeah. DiMaggio went to... World War Two, right? Yeah, maybe. And this, like, what would have been the two or three best seasons of his career? Yeah. Yeah. Back when men were men and right. <laughs> women were not allowed to have jobs. Right. <laughs> Back when men were men and women were, like, somewhere in between men and children as far as, like, the human <laughs> being scale, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. All right, cool. Um, we brought this up. I wanted to mention this before we go off. UFC is canceling its scheduled fight that was scheduled for April 18th because, of course, you fucking morons. Right. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Just kidding. You guys. <laughs> All right, this has been uh, Jump on the Up. Uh, this has been the B Block Book Club. Thanks so much for listening. Um, if you like what you hear, give us a rating, a review, and a subscription on Apple iTunes. You can also check us out on SoundCloud.com. One thing that Sam and I are working on, we are, I'm not going to call it stimulating the baseball season, but I'm going to call it crowdsourcing the baseball season. Sure, I'll, I'll buy it. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, so we're making up our own box scores. The Chicago White Sox are three and four right now. Um, I'm kind of taking care of the AL Central. Sam is doing the Red Sox in Toronto. So if you want to get in on this because you're bored and uh, hanging out in quarantine, hit us up. And I'll yeah. share uh, the template with you, and you can come up with box scores for your favorite teams. Maybe the Seattle right. Mariners will make the playoffs this year. Now, the Seattle Mariners are 0-10 right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, oh, I may, I might start doing some NL box scores. I, I think the Reds. This is the Reds' year. Really? Maybe. Are you doing a White Sox-Cincinnati Reds World Series? Is that your How like, goal? that be? That would be so goddamn <laughs> Ooh. Unrealistic. I'm thinking twins and whew, who's going to win it for the National League? The boring ass Dodgers? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Fuck. That's boring. <laughs> right. I want to drive a train into a boat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Milwaukee. No, Milwaukee sucks, man. They lost like all their good players. Yeah. Except for Bellin uh Yelich, who's right. the best. The amazing Mets. Oh, you know what? Maybe. Yeah. The Mets could be good, man. Oh no, because Cindergard got Tommy John. Dude, everybody's got Tommy John. Sale, Cindergard. Um didn't actually somebody from the Dodgers go into Tommy John? Yeah. I mean, if you're not playing baseball, you might as well take the opportunity to get your damn Tommy John surgery. Right. I'm thinking about getting Tommy John surgery. <laughs> Why not? I don't even play I'm not, baseball. <laughs> I'm not at work. I might as well go get Tommy right, John exactly. surgery. Like, I don't know when I'm going back to work. Might as well get that Tommy John surgery out of the way. 
<laughs> no, it's elective. The hospitals wouldn't be able to handle it. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, get like, I'm just gonna get a horse tendon in my arm. <laughs> All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Dump on the Up, ostensibly a baseball podcast. Uh, for Sam, my name is Joel. Thanks so much for listening. Um, hey, uh, thanks so much for all of our guests. Uh, the last two weeks, we had Patty from China. Check out that episode. He talks about going through the coronavirus quarantine in China. We had Marion Lewis on talking about Oregon. Uh, Lewis is a nurse, and he has been working in a hospital in Portland, Oregon. And I see you. In an ICU, yeah. Yeah, it's exciting stuff. Um, and then Thomas, um, he doesn't work in ICU, but he is quarantined in Seattle. And we talked a lot about baseball. Weirdly enough. Weirdly enough. So hit us up if you want to be a guest, because uh, I know you got nothing better to do. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. For Sam, my name is Joel. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good evening and a pleasant tomorrow. This is the weirdest music video of all time. It's kind of a weird walk-up song, too. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be a good walk-up song, really, when you thought about it. This sounds like... I mean, I know, I've heard this. I know this song. But it sounds like the kind right. of music that they play on those, like, late-night dance, like, infomercials. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where That's... it's just, like, a room with, like, a lot of people <laughs> dancing, kind of weirdly. That's all the music video is. Oh, is it? Yeah. Very 70s. Yeah. I like to think that Earl Weaver listened to this kind of music. Every day. Yeah.